praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Christ. That's beautiful, special. That's Him. Wow. Teresa, thank you for the piano special. And God, God bless you, brother. Thank you for leading us to the throne of grace and glory and music and song this morning. Hallelujah. You know, we share the prayer concerns as we ask you to pray for people who are going through times of sickness and bereavement. And you know, I'm afraid that sometimes we neglect a very important aspect of prayer. And that is those times when we can praise the Lord. Many of you know that last week at this time we were asking you to pray fervently for Dr. Brett Owen, pastor at Temple Baptist of Louisville. Very, very gravely ill in ICU. In fact, as the week went on, the doctors were quite certain that they were going to be taking blood off of the respirator. He might live for maybe a few minutes. And so they uh, were preparing the family and had them all gathered in the room, as I understand it, Thursday. And they were saying their goodbyes and, and, and ready to take them off of the respirator, and they did take them off the respirator. And as best as I understand it, I got it in directly, but as soon as they took them off of the respirator, Bud began to swallow. Bernie began to breathe on his own. And the last word I had was he was sitting up in bed eating applesauce and talking. Folks, we serve an awesome God. He did miracles then, but he's doing miracles today. Another praise report. Some of you may remember we have been praying for several months now for a little baby. Daniel and Amanda Parsons, little nephew, Lincoln Dyson, who was born with a very serious kidney illness, fighting for his life at Baptist Hospital in the Nikkei. And um, God is just a miracle. He is going home from the hospital today. He'll be utilizing the dialysis. But isn't that a miracle that God will take a little baby in such a frail condition and God could work a miracle? I'm so thankful to God that we can say, praise your holy name, almighty God. And so as we gather together on Sundays, let's not lose sight of who it is we worship and, and, and what it is that we do when we worship God. In fact, the message this morning ties a little bit into Matthew's gospel, but I'm not going to be preaching directly out of Matthew this morning. You may recall last week in chapter 14, as we were bringing that chapter to an end, and Jesus encountered his disciples who were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, some three, four miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, a ferocious storm, battling against this contrary wind that was tossing their little boat like a tennis ball upon those angry waves in the middle of the night. These seasoned seamen were feeling like there was no hope for them. And there came Jesus, walking on the water, praying for them. And Peter even was so encouraged that he said, Lord, if it's you, how about commanding me to walk out there to you? And, and Jesus said, come Walk! But then he began to walk on the very ways that Jesus was walking on, man. Had he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked right out there to the Lord, took his eyes off the sand and the Lord rescued him right away. But in the end of that chapter, you'll notice it says, and as they, Peter and Jesus, got into the boat, immediately, 
the storm ceased. The wind stopped. And the waters is as calm. And God's version of that same story says, immediately, from halfway in the, in the sea, they were right there at the shore, where they were headed. Immediately. You know, Scotty, Dean, me. Now, don't you wish you had that technology when you run behind? You can just pull, you know, to your GPS. Bring me to the church. <laughs> oh, me, oh, if you're sitting in an IRS audit, bring me back home. But anyway. But, um, but right away, it wasn't a thing with Jesus' power. And, but, but what I want you to see is in that chapter 14 and verse 33, it says, And those who were in the boat came to him and worshipped him. Before the Son of God in a way they had never seen Their spiritual eyes were open to see something about Jesus, the man that they've been following now for about two years. There's something different about this man. He's not an ordinary man. He's not an ordinary teacher or rabbi. He is the Son of God. And they worshipped him. Do you understand what a privilege it is for you and me to be sitting in a comfortable auditorium, unhindered by any occupation forces or government ties, uh, worshiping freely? And I know some of our guests probably for the first time here worshiping with us at Cornerstone said, yes, y'all do worship kind of free. No, we're, we're Baptist-Costal. We're Baptist with the blend of Pentecostal woven in, and so we, we express ourselves, and, and that's all right. It's just our style of worship. But, but I want you to really consider what a privilege it is. You understand we've got brothers and sisters in the Lord in other parts of the world who would give anything to do what you and I are doing today, to, to sing freely, to read the Word, to be able to talk about Jesus and, and, and praise His holy name, and not worry about what other people are going to do or that you might be arrested or, or, or persecuted. Yeah, what an awesome privilege it is. But do you really understand what it is that we are doing, what we worship God? And that's what I want to focus upon this morning. I want to focus upon the heart of worship. This actually, this, this sermon is going to be one in a series. Not all in sequence week after week. But over the course of this year, I will be pushing from time to time out of this series, out of the scriptures, about worship. This is actually the fulfillment of one of our action plans out of this transformational church. We want to understand, really, what is true worship? What is worship really all about, based upon the Word of God? And what's the title from a, uh, an album, a CD, that I, a song off of a CD? Michael W. Smith, probably one of the most popular contemporary Christian artists, phenomenal musician and tremendous worship leader and songwriter. He wrote, he put together a whole album of worship, and one of the songs on that album, if you haven't gotten it, you need to get it and just listen to it, is entitled The Heart of Worship. And if you listen to the words of that, and I've read some articles about it, this song comes out as a deep struggle that Michael W. Smith went through himself when it comes to the subject of worship. He was deeply convicted, as probably many Christians ought to be, about finding himself going through the motions and never stopping to really give consideration to what is this thing that we are privileged to do called worship. And I may not have the words exactly right, but you get the, the sense of the, the song, the title of the heart of worship, 
and says a song in itself is not enough. For a song is not what you require of me. He's talking to the Lord. He says much deeper. You look into my heart. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. For it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And as we consider that today, the theme of the message that I bring to you, having a true heart of worship requires that I understand clearly how the Scripture defines worship for me as a Christian. You can't worship God, ladies and gentlemen, unless you understand what the worship, what the Word of God says about worship. You need to understand exactly what the Scripture teaches about this wonderful privilege and the divinely afforded response that you and I have to the God of the universe. Consider these questions as you hear the message and as you follow me in the Word of God. Is my worship of the Lord based on a clear biblical understanding of the true nature of worship? Is it you are engaged in sincere worship or is it just another religious activity? How are you worshiping God? When you assemble together with other Christians here or any other place for the present hour, how are you going about worshiping God? Dr. Dewey Carson in his book, Worship by the Book, defines worship as the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their Creator God, precisely because He is worthy, delightfully so. And he goes on to expound on that definition more precisely, but he reminds us we're not the only ones that worship God. Christians are the only ones that worship God. Angels worship God. Revelation tells us that that's cool. They, they've got it going on up there in heaven. But there's something special about the privilege that you and I have when it comes to worshiping God. And so, for us as Christians, not really to sound boastful, but the fact is, brothers and sisters, we have the truest form of worship known to mankind. We as believers in Jesus Christ, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel in chapter 4 because you may remember there Jesus encountered a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well, and Jesus revealed to her a lot of things about herself that made her realize that, hey, this is a lot ordinary rabbi I'm talking to. This man knows everything about me. He even knows the fact that, you know, he's a perfect stranger. He knows that I, uh, that, 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 that my husband's and the one I'm living with now is not even my husband. He knows everything about me. And so she tries to say, change the subject by using a smoke screen, I guess if you will. Verse 20 of John chapter 4, she says, Our Father, talking to Jesus, our Father worships on this mountain, and you do uh, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She's just trying to get him off track. Because he's honing in on her. He's figured her out. But, but Jesus uses the opportunity to teach her and you and me something very, very, very important about the nature of true worship. That's what Jesus said in response in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the eyes come. God submits to you right now. I see it. The hour that Jesus is speaking of is here. You're in this hour. Okay? He says, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I believe Jesus is speaking about the truest form of worshiping God right here. Worshiping Him in, in spirit and in truth. And I'm talking about the true worship as a Christian, as a Christian. I want you to walk with you through this and, 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 and consider how it is that God has told us in His Word we should worship Him. And if you're doing anything less than this, then you need to be asking God, Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. I don't want to miss anything about this great privilege that I have to be in your presence to worship you. So first of all, Christian worship has the Lord as its sole object. Remember what the Dismiss said? It's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the music leader. It's not about the musicians. It's not about the choir. It's not about anything on the screen. It's not about anyone. It's about you. Our worship reflects our belief in the triune God. Three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so this of all, I want you to see that we, in true Christian worship, we solely focus on God the Father. It's not a song that says, you know, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our Maker. We're worshiping the very one who is the Creator. God is the Creator of all of creation. No second in heaven and on earth, and when we gather together, what an exhilarating and yet keen, a humbling thought to think that when you and I gather together on a Sunday morning anywhere we go to worship God, we are calling upon the very one who stuck into existence all of the stars, the constellations, everything in heaven and everything on the earth, everything in the unseen heavenly, and everything that our eyes behold today, including our own selves. We, Adele was just talking about the wonderful lesson that we had in Christian Christians this morning, taken out of Psalm 139. And the psalmist says to the Lord, For you have formed my innermost heart, and covered me, shaped and fashioned me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When you gather to worship the God, you are worshiping the God who shaped and fashioned you in your mother's womb for nine months before you were born. Consider it, folks. Not only is he our creator, when we worship God, we worship our Father. What a personal aspect that this brings to, to, to worship. Jesus introduced a rather radical idea back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when he was teaching his disciples to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and he says, he started it off. Here's a model prayer. He says, Our Father. The rare thing for Jesus to consider, you mean Jehovah? We can talk to him in such an intimate, personal way? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. 
Because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross 2,000 years ago, and because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, and you were saved automatically, you were not only transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, not only were you made from being lost and unsaved and wretched and departed, but you were made to be a part of the family of God. He was Holy Father, Abba, Daddy. Who we worship, we worship in our Father in heaven. But today, any more intimate than that. He's not some distant, transcendent, untouchable deity. He is our God. He is our Father. And worship, I believe, ought to be balanced by all. And at the fact that He is the creator of all this universe, to be with intimacy. And so we could say, Father, we are here to worship you. Two Christian worship. Focuses on God the Father. But it also focuses on God the Son. Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, we'll get there sooner or later. But when Jesus was asking his disciples, who did he, who do you say that I am? He'd ask them, what does other people say that I am? Some say, well, John Baptist or Elijah or whatever. And then he turned to Peter and says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter blurted out, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. As the disciples saw Jesus stepping to the boat, having walked through the waters in the sea, and instantly calmed, and the boat instantly transported. When they witnessed that, they realized, you are the Son of God. You are the only begotten Son of God. And so when we worship Christ, let me remind you that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman back in John chapter 4, verse 24, and he says, the day will come when you will worship and you will truly worship because you will worship in truth. Who is truth? And better still, maybe I should ask you, who is truth? And what the Lord Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth. He is the embodiment of, of, of everything that is truth. Even John in his gospel in chapter 1, he began talking about the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is the truth, and the truth is Jesus. So when we worship we come in the name of Jesus, who is himself the truth. There is no truth apart from Christ. It's not found in other religions. It's not found in other philosophies. Jesus is the truth. And the way to worship in truth is to be in Christ. And he is our Redeemer and our Lord. I love that passage in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. 11 where Paul says, therefore, talking of God the Father, therefore he has highly exalted him, the Son, Jesus. We fathers like to do that for our sons. We like to do it for our daughters. We like to do it for our children. We like to lift them up. We like to have people say, hey, this is my daughter. I'm so proud of her. This is my son. I'm so... Imagine what God the Father would do with his own son. Therefore, he has highly exalted him who, Jesus, the Son of God, and given to him the name that is above every name. And it's the name that every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. That is the name 
name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God said more than once in the scripture, this is my son. And he was baptized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. When we gather together, ladies and gentlemen, we worship, we worship the very Son of God. And let me tell you something. Yes, He is indeed the embodiment of the truth. And He is indeed our Redeemer and our Lord. No one else could have died on that cross 2,000 years ago. No one else could have died. It took more than a martyr. It took more than a man. It took the Son of Man. It took God Man dying on the cross whose blood was sinless that He could atone for our sins, redeem us from the penalty of our sins, rescue us from the fires of hell, and bring us into the glorious kingdom of God. That's an old gospel song, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood for Jesus. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. But listen, He is more than a teacher. He is more than a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. So please don't stop there. Please don't put the period there. Jesus Christ was more than a teacher, more than a prophet. He was the embodiment of the Godhead. In Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, In Him is embodied all of the Godhead. All of it. He is fully man, and yet He was fully God. Oh, listen, when we worship, we worship the very Son of God. But He's also an aspect of worship, and sometimes when we talk about worshiping God, we, we, we acknowledge that we worship God the Father, the Creator of all the creation. We, we acknowledge that we worship God the Son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten the Son of God. But listen, don't forget the third person of the Trinity. The Father God is made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God, who Jesus was talking to his disciples, anticipating his own crucifixion and later resurrection and then initial ascension into heaven. And Jesus made a promise to those men who had faithfully followed him and had poured their lives into him, or he poured his life into them. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, because I'm sure they were thinking of Jesus going to heaven. <laughs> we're there here by ourselves. I love how Jesus introduced the third person of the Holy Trinity to his own disciples there in John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse 16. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be you. Did you hear that? Did you see that? The Holy Spirit is not just some mystical entity floating around out there that you bounce into once in a while or fall from the rafters of the church occasionally during revival. No, the Spirit of God, Jesus said, He's everywhere. Psalm 139 helps us to understand that everywhere we go, where can you go from the presence of the Lord? Nowhere. Nowhere. The Spirit of God is everywhere, but here's the real country right here. Did you see what Jesus said? Not only is he with you, but he is in you. The Spirit of God takes up residence in the life of every person that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. 
That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 18. He said, be filled and be filled. And continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, why do we need to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we, in our flesh, we allow temptations of the world, we allow temptations of the flesh, we let the old devil, demons, all the evil forces out there to begin to quench the spirit, to suppress the spirit in us. And that's why there are some Christians that are walking around, two Christians, with very little evidence of the Holy Spirit because you see they're caught up in the things of the world. They're caught up in the things of the flesh. Are you so filled with the flesh and the world and worldliness that there's very little room for the Spirit of God working your life? Let me tell you something. You guys, you never get to a point where you don't need to be filled by the Spirit of God. We all need to come. I drove around on a, for a while, I mean, I know this is done, but I drove around on a tire that was leaking. You know, it wasn't bad enough that I had to rush to the, you know, service station, but then again, it was, it was you know, worrisome enough, I'd have to stop at every little gas station and fill it up, fill it up, you know, fill it up, until time got the tire fixed. Well, that's the way you are as a Christian. The Spirit of God is in you. But if you don't confess your sins on a regular basis and stay clean before God, listen, you can't be filled in you. And so it's, it's important that we are constantly filled with the Spirit of God. So what does this say about our worship? Listen, when we worship, we worship in the Spirit of God. Who do you think? Anyway, the Spirit of, of, of excitement. Who do you think? Touches you deep in your heart when a song is being sung or when the Word of God penetrates into the deep recesses of your heart. Who do you think is speaking into your ears, the spiritual ears, and the preacher's speaking? It's the Spirit of God. And we cannot worship without Him. And not only that, He is our comforter. He is our helper. He is our God. Jesus said further there in John 14 and verse 26, He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. If you leave this sanctuary on any given Sunday and say, Man, I just, oh, praise the Lord, I was blessed. Oh, my heart was stirred. Oh, my eyes were open. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make a new commitment. Listen, it's nothing but the Spirit of God working in you. And then one of the things that we ought to do is acknowledge the goodness and the sovereignty and the holiness of our Father in heaven and praise His holy, wonderful Son who loves us and died for us, but we also to begin our worship service and say, Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come into this place. Take residence here. Fill this sanctuary with your presence and your power. Not only that, Holy Spirit, but feel us. Feel us. Because we have the church when we go out into the world. True Christian worship also expresses God's infinite word. So, you can tell how valuable something is by your response to it. You're riding down the road and the children are riding in the car next to you and you know, I feel God, they do spontaneous things from time to time. Or let's just say, child reaches over and you have a pack of gum sitting on the seat. Child flips it out the window. 
Because, oh, God, did you die? My breath stinks, and now I don't have anything to do. Then you get over it. Why did you tell you happened to left your wallet sitting on the seat? Thank God. Get rid your driver's license, credit cards, all your identity. You ran up in traffic, driving cars and trucks, left the path because I can instantly tell you which of those two items you value the most. And I know that's a crude illustration, but if you understand worship, worship is a time you can tell how valuable God is to people when they come into the sanctuary to worship. Hey, listen, if God means everything to you, your relationship with Him means everything. Listen, the English word that we have for worship comes from an old English word, worship. Worship is an expression of the worthiness of God. He is worthy of everything good. Listen, worship recognizes the divine nature of God. Listen, our worship ought to constantly be a reflection of what do you think about God? Now, if you're in the Joel Coliseum, is that where Wake Forest played yesterday? Oh, was that where the team went? If you were judging from the response of the, of the Wake Forest fans yesterday toward the end of the game, how much they valued their team, it wasn't much, was it? Understand both. Anyway, we'll get over it. But that's when we come into the worship service, what is it that we reflect about our, our value of God, our worth of God? You know, if you were just to consider all the, not all, but some of the Old Testament names of God, the nature of God is reflected so wonderfully in so many of those Old Testament names. For instance, Jehovah Nisi, God is our banner, Exodus 17, 15. It speaks of His triumphant presence and His eternal promise of deliverance. Just in that name, but then Elohim, He is the Creator God. In, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Elohim is the creator of God. He is supreme above everything and every person and every power. El Elion in Deuteronomy 32 8 talks about he is the most high God. He has authority over all of heaven and all of earth. And then go on in Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides what we need and when we need it. Genesis 22 14. Listen, Yahweh, Jehovah, he is the I am that I am. He is the great God of covenant mentioned over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And then John chapter 8, 68, where he says, I am. I am. That's who God he is, the eternal God, like the choir was singing about today. Jehovah Rapha. And that's in, in Exodus 15:26. He is the great healer. He is the ultimate healer. He is the God who heals us, not only physically, but also He heals us spiritually and emotionally. Emmanuel, as we focus upon the Christmas, is God is with us. In Christ, God is with us. And then Yeshua, the later transliterated Jesus, the Lord is our salvation. When we come together, our God is so awesome. One name can't really represent who he is. So he has many names to describe his many attributes and many qualities. Folks, we should never tire of worshiping God. There's not enough words in the vocabulary for us to express his greatness and his worth. Worship reveals the mighty works of God. I love over in Psalm 66. The psalmist is declaring the greatness of God in his works. Listen to the, the psalmist there in Psalm 66, beginning in verse 1. In fact, the title of this psalm is Praise to God for His Awesome Works. Take a joyful shout to God, all the earth. 
Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doings for the sons of men. How awesome is our God. And our worship ought to reflect that. How often do we reflect the activities of God? I don't ask you to stand and testify, but if I do time, I'd love to do it. But how many of you maybe have seen God's work this week? You don't have to. You've seen God's work. Okay? Alright? Okay? You must have stayed in here and walked around with a hood over your head, all, all the rest of you. I saw him in a sunrise. I saw him in a beautiful, brilliant night sky. I saw him in a little baby. Formed and shaped and fashioned in the image of God. I saw him in an elderly couple expressing their deep love and commitment to one another for many years. I saw him in people who were trusting in the Lord, calling upon God and God was a miracle of healing. Oh, listen, don't tell me God is not at work. And when we come together to worship, we also not only reflect upon the things that God has done in the Bible, but our worship service should declare, look what God has done. Oh, if we had the time and worship for the girl, I love to have said Christians to say, let me tell you what I saw God do this, this week. What an awesome God he is. How worthy is he to be worshipped? Let me move along very quickly. True worship, Christian worship, not only expresses God's infinite worth, the true Christian worship exalts God. Listen to the contrast here. True worship, Christian worship, exalts God, but humbles man. You know, one of the most common Greek words used for the worship, for the word worship, proskemio. Basically means to, to kiss forward. You know, some of those old English films, you know, that. You know, where people are so proper, somebody of, of, of regal nature, somebody of royalty, somebody of importance comes into the room and, and you're just a commoner like me. You know, you walk over to them and, and they're licking you, take their hand and you kiss their hand. They don't do that much in America, do we? Because, you know, I'm trying to people to make you, I don't know if you do that or something, if you did in our culture, but you're a humbling picture. Listen, I acknowledge your greatness. I acknowledge how you esteem. I, I esteem you. Let me just kiss your hand. And the Greek word captures the essence of that. When we come into the presence of God, whether that's in the sanctuary or when you're by yourself and you experience God, oh, listen, it ought, to, it ought to create an awareness in you of the greatness and the awesomeness and the power and the majesty of God so much that you would just say, oh, God, let me just kiss your hand. You're so great. And I love you so much. Worship extols the Lord. Our God, giving Him praise and glory and honor. That scripture passage that I referenced in the title of the message, First Chronicles sixteen twenty-eight, is taken from a praise song that David wrote. King David wrote. The occasion was they were bringing the archivist of the covenant 
had to be captured by the Philistines and held in enemy territory for so long that he had been blown from the people of God. And David was asking God, can I go get it? Can I go get it? And finally the Lord permitted him to go. And it was such a, a, a moving thing to David. He was, he was so excited. He was in, there he was. He was a newly anointed king of Israel. He was in Jerusalem, the city of David. And the thing that was missing was the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of Jehovah God. Finally, we're going to go get it. We're going to go get the covenant. They elected the priests, the Levites, and so they're the only ones worthy to carry the, 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 the precious, uh, redeemed, sacred Ark of the Covenant. And uh, a band to go, and singers to go. And even the king, like a priest, dressed himself in fine linen all the way to the ephod. And as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, David, the king, the very high king of all, the most powerful man in the region of the time, the king, dressed in linen, ephod, was dancing. Why are women at this? Crawling, crawling around, crawling before the Ark of the Covenant. And he was singing. And he was singing, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him and worship God in the splendor of his holiness. Do you think David had a high estimation of God? I'm not saying that you need to dress in linen, ephod, and whatever. I don't know what that is. Maybe jogging pants. I'm not saying that we need to dress in linen and come into the sanctuary dancing and whirling unless you just meet God the Spirit. But I think we ought to come before God with that sense of awe. That's what the angels had there in that vision that God gave to John in Revelation in chapter 4 when he saw the thousands and ten thousands and thousands of angels and he saw the living creatures giving glory and honor to God there in Revelation 4 and the 24 elders falling down their, their, their crowns before the throne of God and they were all singing, they were all saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Oh, listen, there's great worship going on up in heaven and God is being extolled and lifted up. I think John the Baptist caught the essence of what I'm trying to say. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, John saw Jesus and he says, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John says, Listen carefully because this is the same formula you and I need to practice in worship. John says, He must increase. In my relationship with this Jesus, John says, He must increase and I must decrease. So from there to be backwards. And yet Christians do. Don't you dare get it backwards. And yet sometimes God people do. Authentic worship humbles the very spirit of man. Let me tell you something. You know the most arrogant posture that you can have in worship? And it happens so often. People are singing praises, the choir singing, the musicians are playing. Focuses upon the drawing God and people be standing there. Arms crossed and turned up. <laughs> you realize what you're saying to the God of the universe when you've maintained a posture like that? 
And you're not even, not even thinking. You're saying so much to God by your cross arms and you're cheering up. They can worship if they want to. I don't really need you. I got my act together. I got my money. I got my career. I got, oh, listen, I, I, I'm my God. Oh, ho, 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 ho. No. Isaiah had that great vision in Isaiah chapter 6. We saw in that vision the, the very throne of God lifted high up with the seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah fell before God. He thought he was a dead man. He said, Oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of awesome, holy God. And when we come into the presence of God, we ought to likewise humble ourselves like those disciples did in that book. Out there on the scene. And their eyes were spiritually open to see who it was that was in the boat with them. They fell down and worshipped him because they understood. This is indeed the Son of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in his name. He says, I am there in the midst of them. We're not trying to worship some distant deity who's separated from us way up in heaven and what we do won't reach him until next Thursday. No, he's here. He's right here. That's what he said. He says, if two or three gathered together, my name, I am here. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Almighty God. Welcome into this place today. We worship and adore you. We exalt you. We extol you. We lift up your name. We bow down before you because you are worthy. We are nothing, O God. We are worms in your sight. We are despicable, Lord, apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we worship and exalt you. We must increase. We must decrease. In the presence of Almighty God, eternal God, is yours a heart of true worship? Can you honestly say, that what you endeavor to do when you gather here on Sunday morning or if you're from another church wherever you gather, can you honestly say you go with a heart of worship based upon what the Word of God says? And that's what you do. Lift up your holy name. Does it extol and honor and magnify and exalt Him? God. And then want to take a journey similar to Michael W. Smith and get back in the Word of God and say, Oh Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for what I have been doing and calling it worship. And Lord, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you with a true heart of worship. God, I want to come back to you and worship you as your Word describes you are worthy to be worshipped. And oh God, give it to me, please. Give to me a true heart of worship. As I lift you up and exalt you. I pray that the seeds of this sermon will take hold in your heart. And I pray that as we go further in this series throughout this year, that you will be challenged more and more and more to ask yourself, is mine a true heart of worship? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. That you don't leave us walking in this world trying to figure out on our own how it is that we're supposed to act as your people. You tell us very clearly from your infallible and errant word that exactly who you are 
And who we are in relation to you. And we thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not have a personal relationship with you, through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and maybe missing out on the essence of, of this glorious practice and privilege we have as Christians to worship you, Lord, I pray, let them realize. Convey to them just how much they need you and how much you love them. That you were bound across 2,000 years ago to pay the price for their sins that you did mine. Lord, I pray for salvation for those who do not know Jesus today, but those also can worship. And God, I pray for all of us. I promise you, Lord, there's not a person sitting in this sanctuary who doesn't need to work on their worship. So help us, Lord, as a congregation and as individuals to worship you truly. In truth, I mean, I pray, Lord, you just move now as we go into this time of decision and response. Speak to the hearts of your people again. Move upon them to make decisions that will bring them in a closer accordance to your word and in your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For the way I read this and sing a hymn of commitment this morning, and I invite you. I, I pray. I'll tell you this, and I may get tired of it, but man, when I labor in, the, in my study and pray and, 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 and study and pray, you see, I get preached to a long time before you do. On my knees, more than once this week. So, Lord, I've seen things that I haven't seen before. I, I, I can do worship better. I'm missing out on some of the power and the joy. It's coming to me as a worshiper of God. I'm so thankful that God speaks my heart. I'm looking forward to continue to study His Word and share it with you. But maybe God has said something to you this morning about you as a worshiper. Your relationship with the Lord. So, as we sing this, this song together, if God is speaking to your heart and you feel a need to come and share what it is so that I can pray for you and pray with you, that's fine. You come and share me with me. But you don't have to. Maybe you're just hurting your heart and you just want to take the time and just kneel here at the, at the front of this sanctuary and just make things right with God. Make a commitment to God. I promise you, He's here, He's listening, and He's interested. So let's stand together. Let's, let's just sing. And, and let God's Spirit move us as we need to move.